you reckon COVID isolation was tough, then, then picture this. You think you're coming down with something, the doctors examine you and next thing you know you're being bundled off by the police and forced to live the rest of your life, separated from friends and family. You will never work again. Your house, your possessions are burnt. You are shunned by all who knew you. And in many cases, even your name will be erased from memory. Now, this was the life of thousands of Australians diagnosed with leprosy in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. And my guest has delved into the lives and loves of people who lived in Sydney's leper colony in her book, The Coast. Now, this is the fourth novel for author Eleanor Limbrecht, who was also a lecturer in creative writing over the road at the University of Technology in Sydney. Eleanor, welcome to the Little Wireless Program and congratulations on the book. Thank you so much, Philip. It's lovely to be here. What was The Coast? The Coast was the first public hospital that opened um, in Sydney and it was the first public post-convict era hospital that opened in Sydney. It was the infectious diseases hospital for Sydney in Little Bay, the suburb of Little Bay. And which is just north of Botany Bay. Which is just north of Botany Bay, but it is just south of Maroubra and Malabar and it is where I live in Sydney. It became the location of Sydney's leper colony with male and female lazarettes. Yes, that's correct. Um, it had male and female lazarettes and it they opened in 1890. The hospital itself opened in 1881. Now, you mentioned that you live in Maroubra, so close to Little Bay. Did, did that inspire your researchers? It absolutely did. I began looking at that area when I was writing a book, my second novel, which was about the women's reformatory at Long Bay. And I went and um, did some research around Little Bay and I went to the Nursing and Medical Museum there at Little Bay, which is run by volunteer um, retired nurses. And I saw some photographs that had this sort of fenced in area and it said isolation, no admittance without permission. And I asked about it and it was a um, lazarette, which was the name for a small leprosy hospital that let, was there. Let's just stop for a second and uh, look at the origin of the word because I understand it comes from Lazarus in the Bible, who Jesus famously cured, Lazarettes. Yes, it is a very interesting word. When I researched it as well, though, it also comes from the area on a ship that was a quarantine area on a ship, which was what they used it for as well. Now, it started out as a place, I understand, to isolate Chinese people with smallpox. Yes, at first, the first um, patients at the sort of isolation area on the beach at Little Bay were Chinese patients with smallpox in sort of 18, 1881. When... Does leprosy first appear here? 
In the 1850s, um, the first case of leprosy in Australia was recorded, but the first cases in in New South Wales came a little bit later in the 1870s, and the lazarette didn't open until 1890. Some of the characters in your book come from Jiggy Creek near Lismore because there was a cluster there. Do we know why? It's really interesting. They call it the Lismore cases of leprosy. It was endemic to the Northern Rivers. And some of the assumptions around that are because leprosy does spread more easily in tropical areas. And because it's not a disease that is genetically passed along, but the propensity towards it is passed along in families. Was it present in the indigenous population? It wasn't until the late 1800s. But by the 1920s, most more than half of the cases of leprosy in Australia were in the indigenous population. I remember doing stories on the, the big cluster around Broome and the Kimberley. Yes, so there were incredibly big clusters around there. There were big clusters in WA as well. 95% of the population are immune to leprosy, but it obviously is, is a disease that spread, or Hansen's disease, as it's called now. And the indigenous population were particularly susceptible because it hadn't existed on the continent before colonisation. Absolutely, yes. Okay, now I describe in the intro a bit about how you were treated if you were thought to have leprosy, but paint the picture for us in more detail, please, Eleanor. So if you were found to have leprosy, you would be taken away from your family by police. You would be taken either, you know, in the back of a, of a police van or a police carriage at the time or on a ship. If you needed to be taken by ship, you would be put in a train carriage. And at every stage, the transportation you were taken in was probably burned after you were taken in it. Heavens above. And um, we should point out that lots of states had the Leper Act. Yes, pretty much every state had a leper act and that was compulsory notification and detention of people who had the disease. And because there was no cure, it was a lifelong detention most of the time. Your character, or one of your characters, is kept locked in a shed in the jail yard for almost a week while they build a, a hasty deck house for the coastal steamer. Yes, and this did happen. Deck houses were built for ships because they did not want to put them um, with other people in the ship. People were terrified of leprosy, which is really interesting as well, because even then people did know that it was not a highly contagious disease, but it was thought to be incredibly contagious. It was, it was feared that if you touched someone who had leprosy that you would immediately catch it. Now, let's go back to the Bible where uh, so much of it, the bad publicity, begins. It didn't help with people's perception of so-called lepers, did it? Because, uh, well, it was seen as, as the most horrific and, in a sense, judgmental illness. Yes, absolutely. Leprosy is the disease most mentioned in the Bible. And it was about shunning those who had leprosy. They were seen as unclean, unclean in Leviticus. And so 
In fact, what is referred to as leprosy in the Bible now, we now a lot of experts think was a generalized skin condition and wasn't actually what we now know of as Hansen's disease. So it covered a multitude of skin problems. Yes. Okay. Now let us just go back to the accommodations. I have to say that the description of the of the of the of the little cottages of the Lazarettes is really quite quite moving, you know, and obviously people were trying to do the right thing. Yes, they were trying to do the right thing and people were there for a very long time. I mean, they were they were going to be kept there for life. And so they had things like a piano, they had a small library, they had a rowboat. In fact, when you go to the beach at Little Bay, there's still the wall from the men's lazarette. There's a sandstone wall and there's a small archway in it. This is at the north end of the beach at Little Bay. And that was the wall where they would, um, that little archway is where they would take the fishing boat out on slip rails and they could go fishing. So the north end of the beach was called the leper beach. I learned from you that people could keep ducks and fowls and pets and observe the customs and habits of their nation as far as possible. The coast was certainly a much better place to have leprosy than most of the lazarets in Australia. Now, I've talked already of the uh, of the leper colonies in the Kimberley, but there were leper colonies around the states. That's right, absolutely. Um so there was Peel Island up in Queensland, um, which was in Moreton Bay. It was a leprosy colony that I went to when I was researching this novel. And um, it inspired me to include the, the stories of Indigenous patients as well in this. There was Phantom Island near Townsville and Mud Island and Channel Island in the Northern Territory. In WA, there was the Derby Leprosarium, um, which didn't close until, I think it's 1989. Now, South Australia, Victoria and Tasmania didn't need lazarettes. No. Um, if there were leprosy patients, they were treated in the exotic diseases hospitals in those places. But they did not have as many because um, of the climates as much because they didn't have that sort of humidity now, Peel Island was notorious for its poor treatment of Aboriginal people, wasn't it? It was, absolutely. Um, it did segregate its patients who were white and not white and treated them very differently. When I went there, I saw the examples of the cottages and those cottages for the white patients there had, you know, electric lighting, they had glass and little verandas. And then the cottages for the non-white patients were, you know, corrugated iron with dirt floors and holes cut in them for windows and doors. They were expected, um, you know, they had sort of, they were expected to cook their own food from, from you know, some of what they were given and, and they didn't get the same treatment as well as the white patients. They live and die in this terrible isolation. Absolutely. And I think that while leprosy is, is an incredibly difficult disease as well, I think that the treatment was even more dehumanising than the disease. People changed their names to save their families from shame. 
They did. So one of the first things at almost every leprosy colony in the world that people are asked to do is is change their names. And the reason for this is because they're protecting um, the patient's family from the stigma of being related to someone who has leprosy. And then they're buried in graves with either a number or initials or just a, their changed name. So it's this sort of sadness of, of the anonymity. Now, let's look at uh, the symptoms of leprosy. Uh, you know, I grew up believing that uh, your fingers and toes fell off. It's a bit more, a bit more subtle than that. It is. And I grew up thinking exactly the same thing, Philip. Um, I think most people did. It's actually about the loss of sensation. So it, it affects your nerves and your fingers and toes don't fall off, but you damage them because they get burned or you bump them into things. Your bones do eventually resorb and you do um, eventually also there there can be blindness and other issues like that as well. So you lose sensitivity and people often got burned or disfigured because they didn't feel the warning of pain. That's right. So pain is actually our body's way of telling us not to do things and it's really important to feel pain in order to look after our extremities. Um, without the feeling of pain, you cause yourself a lot of damage. Now, as Hansen's you've already disease. said, it's nothing like as infectious as, as people feared. And you say that 95% of the population is not susceptible. That's right, naturally immune to the disease. And it also takes prolonged extended contact with people who have it um, for that 5% who are, who are not naturally immune to the disease to catch it. So it is transmitted by droplet, but it's prolonged contact with, the, with a person. It's not genetically inherited? It isn't. It's not genetically inherited, but the susceptibility can be genetically inherited. So this is why we see in leprosy colonies and lazarets, you saw multiple generations of the same family because between it takes between four and 20 years for the symptoms of leprosy That's to show up. That's the incubation period. That's a really long incubation period, My isn't heavens. it? And it thrives in the more humid climates. It does, absolutely, which is why um, up at Jigai Creek or around Lismore, there was a cluster around there and there were clusters in places like Darwin and Brisbane around in Queensland. It's an, an irony, isn't it, that so many of the diseases treated at the coast were far, far more contagious. I'm thinking of scarlet fever, influenza, TB, but only the leprosy patients were locked away. Absolutely. And locked away for life, a lot of them. Now, they were isolated from the outside world, but they could find companionship within the lazarettes and, uh, and friendships and even love affairs. Yes, and that definitely did happen. They didn't have a lot to do. There was, um, there was not a lot to, to cover their time. And so they, they did fall in love with one another. They made um, close friendships. They um, had concerts. They Really? Concerts? Yeah, they had concerts as well, definitely. They had little musical concerts. There was the, one of the nurses at um, the Coast Hospital used to, the matron actually, used to organise concerts for the, in the lazarettes for the patients there. Well, that raises the issue. Did any of the nurses or doctors contract leprosy? None of them did. Is no. that right? Yeah. 
Yes, and it it really isn't that contagious because all around the world it's very rare that anyone who's worked in those leprosy colonies has contracted leprosy. There is a case of Father Father Damien in the famous Molokai, um, but he it was also you know, sleeping in the same beds, eating from the same dishes and, and you know, not practising much hygiene as well. My old friend and collaborator, the late Paul Cox, made a film on Father Damien. Huh? So did anyone ever get out? Yes, people did occasionally. You had to have a 12 consecutive clean smears and they used these smears to, to look for the leprosy bacillus. Um, and occasionally people who had a milder version would, would get out of the lazarets. It was pretty rare though. Um, and, and often when they did get out, they found that their families no longer... Um, wanted to associate with them, you know, or society shunned them. They also had disfigurement from their years of disease. So it wasn't easy to get out either. Now, Eleanor, with early diagnosis and treatment, the disease can be cured? It absolutely can. So since the 1940s um, in Carville in Louisiana, they discovered um, that that a cure for um, tuberculosis was actually useful in curing leprosy as well. And now they have a multi-drug solution that um, is absolutely effective in curing leprosy. You were writing this, uh, this book during covid that must have given the tale a lot of extra poignancy. It absolutely did, Philip. I didn't, I didn't plan to write this during COVID, but it came up and I suddenly went back to the sections I'd written about isolation and about, um, and about the fear of touching other people, the fear of, of what we don't know. And it all became a lot more meaningful to me what those things are. Also the the kind of joy that we get in the small bits of the natural environment that we get. I found that I was going out on my daily walks and noticing so much more of what was around me because of the isolation. I have to say that your story reminds us here of the contemporary asylum seekers uh, locked up in detention centres. Occasionally I give a guest an award. It's called a koala stamp and it's for uh, being a particularly fascinating guest, and you've just won one. So thanks for coming in, Eleanor. Eleanor Limprecht, author of The Coast, published by Alan and Unwin. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.